plus coffee, just so you know. <laughs> Good morning, yeah, everybody. Live. What's up, guys? John Sintas, Cutter Nation Podcast 62. The streak is alive. We're continuing this daily podcast thing. We yeah. are booked through May 1st right now, oh, and not including the weekends. Got some big names coming up. None bigger than... This guy, John. Yeah, for sorry, sure. sorry to interrupt. It's all right. Going. It happened. I mean, we're, we're, sometimes you just got to change up the intro, you know? Anyway, before we get going forward, please help us out. Rate, review, subscribe, mash that like button. And if you really like anything that, that we're saying from this, send us a message about it or share it on social. Um, you know, screen share it, whatever you want to do. We've been trying to uh, provide as much content as we can to help break up the monotony of this situation that we're in, even though there may be good news or bad news, just depending on what channel you're on. Um, uh, but anyway, without further ado, Brandon LaRue, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm pumped. Yeah. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself to the baseball world and um, let us know what you're about? Sure, sure. Um, so. Brandon LaRue, live in Minnesota, southeastern part of the state. I actually lived in the cities for a while. Um, as it relates to, to baseball, grew up playing the sport. It was my favorite sport playing through high school. Played a few years of college ball, Division II ball. Um, then I ended up in the strength conditioning world um, as, a, as a strength coach in the minor league baseball scene with the Cubs. And um, – I'm a dad. I got three beautiful kids, um, a husband, and I love to hunt and fish. In fact, I was turkey hunting this morning. Um, got up early, got after him this morning, didn't get one. But uh, that's a little bit about me, man. I'm, I'm happy to be here and talk all the things we're going to talk about today. Yeah, man. Um, so I'll do kind of my thing. Um, I told Brandon, this is the second time I'm saying this. So this will be the last time you hear me say this and I'll just start doing it. Um, but the reason that I like to kind of give people a background on how I know our guests is because a lot of times I'll tell them things that I haven't told um, them before, right? And so I'm sharing that with them and the audience at the same time. So um, so this is kind of my background and how I got to Brandon and why I'm very excited that he's on. So um, back in, if you've heard my story at all, I got out of college in 2011 and was in finance for like two years, kind of, it's, it's a, it's a gray timeline, but regardless, this is the time that I met Brandon. So I was networking and this was part of the, the financial world that I was in and went to BNI's business networking international all over the twin cities. And my mentor at mutual of Omaha was in Brandon's group. Um, so I was, <laughs> I think I might've gone to a few more meetings than he did at the time. <laughs> Um, cause I was, I was always subbing in for my mentor and, um, yeah, so Brandon was with Advocare at the time and, um, just the, the commonalities, um, between I'm kind of from the middle of nowhere. So I love to hunt and fish. I don't know if you saw this by the way, but got a little fish on my arm right before oh, I left Minnesota. Nice by the way, know. I'm dead serious. If you want to ever get like outdoor fish tattoos, there's a guy, Charlie Forbes in the twin cities. He did this. It's unreal. Look at Charlie Forbes, F-O-R-B-E-S tattoo on Instagram. Um, his stuff is really, really cool. I'm, I'm probably going to like, that's kind of going to be a thing. This is a total side note, but my plan is to go back to Minnesota and get, have this guy just tattoo up my left arm, like over the next 10 years. He doesn't know it yet, but. <laughs> with, with different species or what? <laughs> yeah. So I want to make like my left arm, like a roadmap of Minnesota of just kind of like my timeline. Um, so 
Yeah, Ooh. and I'm I'm in no rush to do it. But anyway, <laughs> um, so so yeah, I just and then so I don't know, you know, professionally, personally, we just kind of knew of each other and we've kept in contact. And Brandon does a really good job of, um, you know, educating his his community with what he does. And so he's constantly on social media, constantly educating, going around his community and all around the state, I suppose, all around the country. I yeah, it's. Dude, dude's moving. So um, I've always been watching him from afar. Um, I don't know that there's anybody that's more impressive from a um, walking the talk. Um, this dude is exactly what he says he is. And it gets emotional because a lot of people are not like that. And so that's something that I've always respected of him. And since I moved out to uh, San Diego, it, I've, I've had a concerted effort to reach out to people in my life that um, just are doing amazing things. And Brandon is, has always been doing amazing things. Um, so yeah, man, thanks for coming on. I'll say one thing I know that I want to actually go back probably farther than you want. Um, cause I think it'll be easiest to talk about kind of leadership and growing up and choosing to live a certain way. Um, you know, we can be as specific or general, but I was telling John that I know that there's a conversation um, that you had in a coach's office that told you that you weren't going to play baseball anymore. And um, yeah, I want, I want you to kind of get people to that. I also want you to, I mean, you and I shared the wrestling thing too. So don't, don't hesitate to go in depth into growing up the kind of athlete that you were. A lot of kids out here in Southern California don't get to be a three sport athlete and you were a damn good three sport athlete. So I know you're pretty humble, but uh, let's let's be real here. Get us up to that point where you're in your at Mankato State and uh, walking yeah. away. Okay. Um, so, yeah, in high school, I played football, I played baseball, and then I wrestled in the winter. And my favorite sport was football. Like it was the most fun for me. And uh, I was probably most naturally gifted at baseball. I was I was a catcher. And, uh, I just had a, as a, as a, I think God kind of just kind of blessed me with a really good arm, man. Cause I could throw a football really well and I could, I could throw down to second base. I was a, you know, a sub two second pop guy, like as a sophomore in high school, I just could just, I could just do it. Um, and, and then wrestling was just in the winter. I grew up in a wrestling household. My dad was, was a wrestling coach and he was an all American in, in college. So it was just kind of what I did in the winter. Um, but it's certainly the sport I'm most grateful that I, that I pursued in high school that, that I had it as a third sport. Cause that's what I've leaned on and later in life for life lessons, like baseball is awesome. We all love baseball, but when times get tough in your life, it's not like, oh man, I had to get really gritty in baseball. You know, like, uh, I get, you know, some people might disagree with me on that, but like wrestlers just kind of have this warrior mentality. So um, I was all state in all all three sports, and so I had a, I had a good good run there through high school, and then to be quite honest with you, um, when I was a senior, uh, my the year before, so before my senior year, my my dad, I lost my mom when I was fourteen, and then my dad, uh, he got laid off and took a new job in a different town, so he moved to um, Waseca, Minnesota which, so my brother and my dad left my senior year and I live with my grandparents. And this is the year, you know, you're supposed to kind of get, you know, recruited. I was being heavily recruited for football, um, not so much for baseball, um, interestingly enough. I was getting recruited by a lot of JUCO schools. 
And I had no guidance, no one to really mentor me through this process of how to go about being recruited. You get all these letters, you get these phone calls, and I was kind of left to fend for it by myself as a high school kid. So I was just kind of, I didn't, uh, I didn't pursue, I didn't communicate well with coaches that were trying to recruit me. And if, if there's, if there's absence of communication, they naturally think you're not interested. So it got to be springtime of my senior year. And I finally was like, my best friend growing up was like, Hey, do you know you're going to go to school yet? And I'm like, I don't. And he's like, Hey, I'm going to Mankato. I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's how I made the decision. You know, like I, I went to the website and I, I mean, I did a little more recon than that, but I saw that they were division two school. I saw that they had a pretty good baseball program and um, their football program was kind of iffy. Um, but I was going to walk on. And I was going to play both football and baseball. I was just like, okay, I'm just going to walk on. Um, and so I walk on and Minnesota State's at like a powerhouse D2 school. And so when I went, you know, went there my freshman year, football season started right away. Right. So I just kind of got in the grind with that. I didn't play fall baseball. You're a cute quarterback. Quarterback. Yeah. Quarterback. Yeah. And what, what year is this? Uh, 2001. So you walked onto the football team and the baseball team and immediately became the quarterback and the starting catcher. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. I, re I redshirted in football. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That'd be pretty amazing. Right. I know. Right. I was like, wait, hold on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no. So I redshirted, which was kind of expected, you know, just learn the offense and lift weights and stuff like that. But so in the springtime though, was like my first year with, with the baseball team, like my first practices even. And, and I won the starting varsity catching position though, um, my freshman year. And, um, so, and, and I, and here's the thing, like I expected to, like, I walked in there, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be the starting catcher here, you know, and, and not like in an arrogant way, but like, I just, I just, you knew yeah. I was, I was good and I was confident, but that didn't last very long. Um, that confidence that, that joy for the game like it, it it pretty quickly left me and and I think it was largely because of the coach the coaching environment um you know I had a decent freshman year um and and unfortunately we platooned a lot so you had I was the starting catcher and then I had a backup catcher and and you know so you'd get basically half the at-bats that everyone else gets that's a normal um starter and I just found it hard to get into a groove. I batted like 270 my freshman year, um, handled the staff well, and overall I had a pretty good freshman campaign. And then my sophomore year, I was batting number two in the order for most of the year. I was, I was having a really good year. And then I hit like a um, last six games of the year. I had just hit a slump. I was just over. I was like over my last 20 something. And my, you know my numbers just tanked from a batting average standpoint but overall i felt pretty good about the year and so here i am about to go into my third year i'm thinking and i was really thinking i was going to be a captain um just because I, i'm a vocal leader um, i work hard um and i go in for my end of season meetings and find out they don't have room on the roster for me, me anymore. <laughs> and I was absolutely floored. 
I mean, it just came out of left field. It wasn't, hey, you don't have a starting role. You're going to have to earn your role back. It was your cut. <laughs> I was speechless. And, um, you know, and it was my identity at that point in my life, like sports were. And uh, so I was, I was kind of in rough shape. I'm like, man, I remember calling my dad as soon as I got out of that meeting with my coach and I was just bawling, you know, I'm like, I couldn't even get the words out of my mouth. I'm like, dad, I got cut. And he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, uh, I don't know what else to say. Like he said, I had too many pass balls last year or something like that. And it just didn't make any sense. So um, naturally being an immature college kid, I decided to party a lot and, uh, and, and kind of get, and, and it took me a long time to realize this guys, you know, for a long time, I blamed everyone else except me, you know, I'm like, ah, screw that coach, you know, and, um, you know, it's his fault and it's the, the pitching coach. I didn't get along with the pitching coach. He didn't like me. And I pointed at every finger and, it, and, and honestly, it probably took until I was 27 years old. So this would have been six, seven years later before I finally kind of went. I started working on myself, doing some personal development and leadership. And I started to go, man, I got to own at least half of that, you know, <laughs> if not more. You know, like I I had let my priorities get out of line, um, you know, with with the college scene, I did not give it my best. I did not train my hardest. I did not um, work. Uh, I didn't put an extra time on my craft. I worked hard when I was there and I always showed up, but I didn't do anything extra. So I, I had to learn to own that, man. I had a gift and I blew it. And um, I thought about transferring. Um, I, I could have played at SDSU, which is actually a division one school. They wanted me to come play for them and credits went transfer. And I just, I hung it up for the first time in my life. I quit something and it haunts me to this day. Um, it haunts me to this day that I actually like just took that common path and just quit when I should have just found a way to persevere and um, either be a, a, just a, a pimple on their butt and, and making sure that they knew that I was coming back and like, you can't get rid of me. Like I belong here. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that you know that I belong here or I should, or transferred and continued to play somewhere else. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm a faith guy and I believe God is good. And I met my wife shortly thereafter. So if I would have transferred, I wouldn't have met her and I wouldn't have my three beautiful kids now. So, um, hindsight's, interesting you can look at it one of two ways right i should have continued to play i had i had a lot of innings left you know uh, but then i met my wife and um i couldn't imagine my life without her so uh but it was definitely an interesting time in my life man because when your identity is stripped from you it, you can easily spiral out of control real fast and that's kind of what happened for me for a few years so what are you up to now i'm up to a lot of things man um so, Cass, you know this. So we um, we built a, a successful nutrition business. My wife and I did um, called Advocare, and 
we're, we're some of the top distributors in the company and I've always, and I've always coached too. Okay. Um, so I've always stayed sharp with coaching athletes, coaching some general population people, wrestling coach. I've been a baseball coach. So it's just because I'm passionate about it. I love it. I love working with, with kids and, and mentoring them. Um, I watched your guys' podcast yesterday, which was awesome, or with Steve McGuigan. Yeah. And man, I just want to hang out with that guy. You know, he just. I told you, man, that, he's unreal. Yeah, like that is, he's got some wisdom and he just, that's that's my type of people. Um, yeah. uh, so anyway, so we lost like 98% of our income earlier this year, which was another huge blow, but that's, that's, that's life. Stuff like that happens and you got to, you got to kind of bob and weave and kind of change and evolve. So um, since then, I, I, um, I don't know if you can see in the background here. That's that's my business, Well-Built Humans. And and Well-Built Humans is a brand and there's a bunch of different offshoots from I got a boot camp that I run in town that's closed right now because of the whole quarantine deal. Uh, I do some online kettlebell coaching. Uh, I did take the freshman baseball here in town because we just moved back to my hometown and shortest season ever. I think it was two practices before that got shut down. <laughs> um, and I still do some nutrition. We've got a nutrition business that we do. I'm writing a book about my, I have a four year old daughter who's got special needs and um, she's just, she's just an angel. And even though she can't talk, she can't walk um, that I just learned so much from her. So I'm kind of like writing these lessons that she teaches me. And that's, I set a deadline for spring, so I'm getting close to wrapping that up and then I'll start figuring out how to publish the darn thing. Um, that's awesome. So spinning a lot of plates, but that's just kind of how I am. Like I, I got a lot of different passions and you know, a lot of people say you gotta stay in your lane, you gotta do one thing. And I think that's great advice, but I got so many passions and I wanna scratch them. So I'm gonna scratch them. <laughs> it's impressive. It's impressive. Three kids, businesses, you know, Turkey hunting. Dude, tell me about, <laughs> talk about you and Brooksy hunting and like watching you from afar and your kid. That's, that's unreal, man. Um, well, I love being a dad. It's, it's one of the biggest, I think it's the biggest leadership challenge of your life is when you start having kids and realizing that you're basically, you know, building, um, so similar clones of yourself because they really reveal a lot. So I really, um, you know, as I became a, a dad to Brooksy and then I got, you know, two daughters now, but I just realized that if, if, if I don't continue to become fine tuned Brandon and become the best version of me, why in the heck would, would he, you know? Um, so I just, it keeps me motivated and inspired to be a good man, a good husband to my wife, um, and, and stay in shape, stay fit. Um, see, see, I want him to watch me coaching other, uh, other young men, um, and women, because I want him to see how you pour into other people. It's not all about you. It's about other people. He works out with me most mornings. He's, he's not even seven yet. Um, tomorrow is his birthday. Actually, he turns seven tomorrow. Happy, happy birthday monster. <laughs> and he's got a goal. Um, so each year our goal is to so last year when he turned six, his goal was to do six pull-ups and he kind of blew through that. So we, we, we hit the goal of doing six, like strict pull-ups, you know, all the way down, all the way up. Not How like, many did he get? Um, well, he's, he's done. He did like 10 shortly thereafter. So 
nine or 10 or something like that. And so now he's seven. So he's got a goal of doing, so tomorrow we got to do two sets of seven. Um, so we'll have a minute of rest in between a set of seven, 20 pushups, one minute rest, and then another set of seven and 20 pushups, like good pushups. Like, yeah, I don't know know about you guys, but like, I, I mean, even working with professional baseball players, I've seen some of the crappiest pushups I've ever seen. I'm like, you guys are so weak. You can't even do a pushup, you know? So like, you know, he's, I make sure he does, you know, quality stuff. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if we're going to put that out there to the world, we better be doing them right. (laughs) Well, it's just, so I, I don't, I don't have kids and, but, but I have a lot of kids. Right. And so one of the things that I, I take from watching you is, I know you can't give him the reality all the time, but it sure seems to me like you're giving him the most honest reality possible for that seven-year-old kid. So the fact that he gets to come along hunting, the fact that he gets to do all the things that you get to do, you know, I, I think that that's, it's unbelievably rewarding for both of you. Right. Um, yeah, for sure. So, I don't know, man. It's just, it's just cool. So we could get caught up on your family and faith all day. Um, let's, uh, let's give some baseball people a little <laughs> bit more um, things that they can take away. Sure, um, sure. Okay. So I have a, I have a question. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. So I, it sounds like you and I had a similar um, coaching culture issue. Um, uh, maybe oh, not yeah. exactly to the T, but I have two separate instances where I was told to not uh, that I was not going to make it. Um, I had, I had them written down in my phone for the longest time. One guy told me I was too smart to play baseball, which was the most confusing thing I'd ever heard. (laughs) And my dad didn't believe it, which is hilarious. So we set up an appointment, went over there and he repeated himself, which I was embarrassed about, but then he proceeded to go into, yeah, you're good with computers and stuff. And so if you play professional baseball, you're going to cost yourself like a million dollars. And I was like, what the heck are you talking about, man? You know? Um, and then the other one, I was basically in a weird position of, uh, of honesty and trust about my arm. Like they thought I was faking it. So I had some really awkward things. The question that I have to you is that culture coaching culture issue seems to be a very common thing amongst a lot of college baseball players. Yeah. Do you have any insight on that and why you think that is? Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I actually had 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 intended to go down that trail and I just kind of forgot. Um, so I'm pretty coachable, you know, like when my, I trust, I had great coaching experiences in high school. And when I got to college, I was just kind of maybe, maybe I was naive. Um, and so like when, when coach told me to change up my stance, you know, I changed up my stance when he told me to go no stride when I was, because I mean, First game of the year, my fr- my first ever game I ever played. Had a couple good at bats, but I struck out twice. I was 0 for two. And and he's like, and I'm getting on the bus that day, he goes, "You're no stratting from here on out." And I'm like, okay. So now I had to no stride. I had to change my whole approach to hitting because I went 0 for two um, in my first game. <laughs> and so, but. <laughs> I'm very coachable. So I'm like, okay, all right. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll work hard at it. You know, bet. <laughs> what? I said bet. <laughs> yeah. And then, 
And then for my test, kids. No, I don't. It's what, I the, don't. It's what the kids say. They're like, yeah, prove it. I'll, I'll do it. Like oh. the kids say, bet. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Is You're that, wrong kids all the time. I thought you'd heard them say that. I haven't heard that one yet. It hasn't made its way east yet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, no, we got kids all the time when we'll, we'll say, you know, I bet you can't hit, you know, this 85 on a shuffle or something. They're like, all right, bet. Yeah. You know? Hey, you want to go get Subway? Bet. He's like, yeah. what? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. Okay. Sorry I'm, to interrupt. I'll start it around here. I'll start the trend around here. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I was very coachable. I did those things. And, you know, but and when you've been, you're comfortable and you feel confident a certain way and you start to, you change everything about it, man, it was like learning how to hit all over again. Uh, so I struggled with that. And then I remember my catching was just, I was just, I was good at it. I could block well, um, real confident about throwing guys out, picking them off. And then they started changing how I received, you know, like, I got overcoached. I think overcoaching is a big thing. Um, and, and listening to Steve the other day, I was like, my man, Steve, like he was just, he was just preaching it. Like these coaches, they get, they get some kids. Here's one thing that I've noticed about um, some really confident, almost borderline arrogant baseball players and how it benefits them is they don't listen to their coaches. You know, like they're like, whatever coach. And then they, they do what feels good and works for them. Like some of the, my best teammates that had the most success absolutely tuned out my coach. They thought he was senile and they're like, and they just went up and raked and did what they always did and didn't even listen to him. Me on the other hand, I listened to him and it messed with me. And, and, and if there's some additional insight, it was, it was really, it was really negative. It wasn't like, um, it was very, if you had, if you were up at bat and you had a bad swing, remember you get three strikes in case you guys didn't remember that, right? You get three strikes in baseball and you would, you know, say you dove out in front, waved at a, you know, a slider in the dirt. Oh, stay back. And he'd be on the third. And it's just like barking at you. And you're like, holy crap, dude, it's strike one. And, um, it just really messed with me. Like I, I started to play, um, not to, not to lose rather than playing to win. I, I didn't play loose anymore. I didn't play. Um, I wasn't having fun. And I tell you what, when baseball isn't fun, man, it can be a really hard game to play, but when you're playing loose and having fun, it, it's awesome. Right? So that's, that's what I try to foster in all the kids that I coach now, what, regardless of the sport, I mean, if it's wrestling, which is super psychological, it's like, man, you just got to open up and have fun. Basically. You know what's crazy is I, I don't know that I've been like aggressive enough to say this, but I learned more in amateur baseball during college than I probably did playing college baseball. And that's not to like offend the, the coaching staff. It's like, that's just to what you're saying is like, gosh, John talks about it all the time. Just like the militarization of, of sports. And it's just like, Dude, this is still a game. Um, you know, there's obviously a fine line. Um, but anyway, it's 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 I feel like it's way too common in the Midwest for something like that to happen, specifically in baseball, because out here it's just like there's too many games for us to be worried about strike one and strike two. But I think in Minnesota, it's like we only have 20 games and my life depends on it. And it's like, no, it doesn't, bro. 
Remember when you've been here for 15 years, your life doesn't depend on this. You can suck and you're still going to have a job. Um, and, and that's just like, it's anyway. So it's unfortunate, but let's, let's, uh, let's keep going forward to some of the ways that you're, you're not coaching like that. So no, <laughs> well, that, that's actually one of my questions that I had was, um, like define being loose and having fun in baseball. Like, cause I think everybody's definition of that is different. Right. Yeah. Cause, and, and so to you, what were you doing specifically? I think that's the thing that, that I, I resonate with too. I came in all kinds of confidence because I knew what I was doing. You know what I mean? And then mm -hmm. they, they try to knock you down and then there's a whole learning curve, everything. So you start questioning stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. So what am I doing now? Is that well, what I just meant like when, when you said you were playing loose, right. And having fun, can you, mm -hmm. can you be more specific on what that actually was for people? Um, you know, you, when you're, <laughs> I don't know, that's, that's hard to articulate. Like, um, I, you know, when you're in the flow, as they say, like, you're just not really thinking, you're just playing. Um, and that's just, that's where I was, um, at that point in my life. And then when you had to start thinking too much about your swing mechanics and, I'm catching the ball too far out front. I mean, it's not like my, I'm, it's not like I'm getting um, catcher's interference here. Like, what's the big deal? As long if I do this a little bit differently and I still throw the guy out, why do you care? Um, I mean, when I was when I was coaching, I was a strength coach in minor league baseball, and uh, one of the friendships that I developed was was the guy named Matt Matulia. He was a player coach. Um, he was kind of out of his way of being a player, but they saw, you know, he was just a great coach. And uh, we we take BP and stuff, and we talk a lot, and um, we talk about barreling up a baseball. And he's like, you know, all you gotta do is watch a little bit of baseball, and see all the variety of swings, right, and all the variety of batting stances. Um, as long as at the end of the, at the if, if the barrel hits the ball at the end, why does it really matter? Um, if some dude can barrel it up and he looks goofy, who cares? Like he barreled it up, and and that's even at a higher level yet, you know. Um, I think, to, I think the interesting thing is is how to foster that with kids because I was that's literally what I was going to ask you. I was going to use that same exact word. So tell us. <laughs> well, I'll use a example. So um, back in town, people know that I was a good catcher here in town. So um, there was like this sophomore catcher in town, and one of the parents reached out to me. Hey, would you be willing to work with my kid? I'm like, yeah, sure. So we went down to the went down to the field and we're just working on some drills and every time, so we were doing like a blocking drill. Um, and he had to anticipate whether he was going to frame it or had to, had to block it, you know? And sometimes he was dropping down and catching, you know, he was going on the block, but it was actually a strike. It was kind of one of those drills where you have to anticipate. And every time that he, um, anticipated incorrectly, he'd go, ah, 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 ah. You know, I could tell he just had like this negative self-talk going, and I'm like, dude, relax. Like, I'm not judging you. I'm here to help you. Okay. So like, you got to stop that negative internal dialogue you got going on and you just gotta, you gotta go easy on yourself. Okay. So if you screw up, who cares? Next pitch. Right. Um, I think another way is, um, helping kids understand that, you know, surrendering the outcome. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that term before, but there's a book, Chop Wood, Carry Water. Um, I would encourage every kid ever to read it. Um, Chop Wood, Carry Water. Yep. It's, a, it's, it's got a great 
uh, message. About. It takes you like seven minutes to read it too. Yeah, yeah. And that's why it's good for young kids because it'll actually, yeah. their attention spans like this, so it works. And um, Surrendering the Outcomes are like one of my favorite chapters. And uh, you know, there's a part in that chapter where it's like the guy in the foxhole who has surrendered the fact that he he very well may die in war has the highest likelihood of survival because he's surrendered the outcome. Now, with a baseball player, like a hitter, it's like, hey, dude, you know the kid that tosses his bat when he strikes out or makes an out? It's like, oh, my God, it happens so often. Why would you even get worked up? Um, but helping the kids surrender the outcome, like, you're going to strike out. Who cares? Go up there and swing hard in case you hit it. Um, and, and the pitcher, okay, you know, you're going to walk some guys, okay? That's going to happen. You, like, so when it happens, don't be surprised when it happens. It shouldn't have such an emotional effect on you. So if you can help them go be at peace with some of the negative outcomes and that it's going to happen when they do happen, hopefully they can just bounce back and not have such a, become such a mental midget about it. Um, well, and, and I think as the coach, you have to like show them time and time again that you're not going to freak out when that happens. Correct. Right. And so uh, this is where I think it gets really weird because I, I've had to, I've worked really hard to have this conversations with parents and dad coaches and the whole thing. Okay. What it is, I think, is that all of us as adults, um, whether it's your kid or not, we can see the potential that they have. Right. And so parents and, and some of these coaches are, are so caught up on what this kid could be that they never sit and focus on what they are right now and be mm -hmm. present with them in this moment. And like, understand that now this is just a hypothesis but to me it seems like it's because they haven't gone there right and so when an adult knows what it takes they know how to be patient and let these things happen mm -hmm. right and so it's really hard for me to have these conversations with people because i can't assume that right i can't assume that that's why this is happening but way too often these, these issues that I'm talking about with the kid, whether they're eight years old or 18 years old, it's because of some dynamic that they have with their parents or other teachers or other adults in their life, mm -hmm. right? And, and that becomes a really tough conversation. But I know that fundamentally it is simply, it, it's, it's, it's genuine. It, it's, it's good intentions, right? It's, I see what you're capable of. And this is where men, it's going to be a little bit higher, right? Because typically they're going to be the ones that are like, um, yeah, they're going to be less likely to give you a hug and more likely to tell you to buck up and figure the F out. Mm -hmm. So anyway, it's just, it's in the same exact line of things and it's, I don't know where else to go with it. It's, it's a tough, it's a tough conversation. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it, um, and I got, I'm, you know, Brooks is going to be seven and even, even I find myself, if I'm going to be 100%, you know, honest here, why wouldn't I be right? <laughs> Why do people say that, by the way? If I'm going to be honest here, well, <laughs> why wouldn't you be honest? I'm so guilty. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's just a space filler, right? Um, when he's wrestling, because I know I know he's Brooks is strong, and but he's so nice. He's such a nice boy, and like when it, he doesn't know how to turn it on yet. So like when we're like when I'm coaching him, I'm like, you know, like okay, tear him apart. He's just kind of like all smiles like looking over and I'm like and I just got to remember as a dad that I have this internal stress going like I want to bark at him like come on Brock like let's go but I've seen parents destroy kids doing that 
So I just kind of like. <laughs> Come here. I don't know how to act. <laughs> Inside, I'm screaming like, "Come on, dude!" <laughs> but I, you know, but he's, but again, he's six. He's not even seven yet, you know. So like, I think, man, we we live in such a state of needing to be the best now. And if people, if parents would just understand that it's not about peaking when your kid is eight, it's about peaking. I, you know, hopefully at the high, you know, I mean, most kids, you know, statistically aren't going to play collegiate baseball. So why, why wouldn't we be looking at, you know, athletically development wise peaking when they're 17, 18 years old, you know, or, but we know that in professional baseball, it's, it's well beyond that even, 25, you know, yeah, yeah. right. Right. So I uh, thought you were going to say 30 because I'm literally, I'm dead serious. I'm thinking about, they should be peaking as human beings, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. And I know that's what you talked about. It's like, I don't stop this peaking thing at, at you know what I mean? Like, look at these, I mean, look at Drew Brees, look at Tom Brady, look at some of these professional baseball players, but I just popped those two because I, yeah. you know, they're just the greatest. And, and they just keep getting better. And um, they, cause they get wiser. It's yes. Yesterday on our podcast, uh, Raj, uh, the synapse guy, if you didn't, you need to watch that by the way, cause that, that tool is unreal. Um, but he talked about Nadal, um, was number one in the world. Rafael Nadal was number one in the world. And he came into the next season with his, uh, serve like five miles an hour faster, like improved his speed on his serve as he was number one. Like most people are like, I'm number one. Like in baseball, it happens all of the time. They are so scared to lose their swing. They're so scared to throw, you know, oh, lose my my release points or my arm slot. It's like, bro, like think about Roy Halladay and how long he worked and how like, it's just like nonstop. Think of the best. And it was just this relentless pursuit for greatness, just nonstop. Mm -hmm. So yeah, eight-year-olds, I'm, I, I don't know, man. I don't, it's really hard for me to look at eight-year-olds and not be like, I really don't care if you, if you're a high school baseball player or not. And I know that by not caring, they're going to be a really good high school baseball yeah. player. Yeah. So it's so easy. It's, I mean, yeah. but not at the same time, but anyway. Yeah. You, you'd mentioned, um, but you know, from a coaching standpoint, you have to model like the whole keeping it fun and keeping it loose. Um, and and you, I think the best way that you do that is is by whether you win or like it's the same mantra like surrendering the outcome like we could very well lose this game and if we do I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna be that coach that barks at his team like I just I think about every coach and positive experience I ever had it wasn't because now I got barked at and I responded well on a couple of occasions but it's because I I it was I had it coming it was usually because I out of disrespect but. Um, I never got one thing out of a coach barking and yelling out of um, a loss or something. Nothing good comes from that, you know? Thank God he yelled at us after we just got our butt kicked. Like, <laughs> right. wow, right. I needed that. Yeah, I, I remember running and um, just getting absolutely laid into when we lost the number two team. I'm a D2 guy also, by the way. We Where'd lost the number uh, University of West Florida in Pensacola. Oh, okay. Yeah. I remember losing to Delta State, the number two team in the country. All three starters got drafted top <laughs> 10 rounds, right? All one nothing ball games, and we got ripped. And I remember being like, what? 
are you talking about? Like, we did a great job as a pitching staff. We ran into three ninety fives that we had no idea was coming. Mm-hmm. Like, what what were we supposed to do? Yeah, you know, like it just it just didn't make sense to me. Right, I, I, the whole thing is just like so, you know, predominant in my head. And I think the culture of what we try to bring with our, you know, with with what we're doing is like what I really learned in pro baseball on how to like be a human and, and treat people with respect and stuff is, is like, you just can't call anybody coach. Like this is Cass. I'm John. Don't call us coach. I'm a ball player. And I just threw baseballs a lot. And all I want you to learn is what I think I can do with this baseball. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just imagine the contrast if you were in that same situation where you got barked at when you got beat by three first rounders if he would have just been like, man, you guys battled. Like, you guys battled to the best of your ability, and I'm proud of you guys. Like, imagine the difference. Like, for sure. Have you, have you guys read the book um, Inside Out Coaching by Joe Ehrman? Um, oh. Great, great coaching book, but it's all about transformational coaching rather than being transactional, about helping transform and mentor kids rather than just use them for w's you know and um he talks about this this concept where he was he was working with because he travels and speaks a lot he was working with these uh, this group of like 80 year old men and and he was talking to them about their sporting experiences and how vividly in their 80s they could remember um a coach a negative coaching experience that brought them to tears in their 80s um and they couldn't remember a single sermon that a pastor preached, you know, from their childhood. Not one, but the coach. They remember the coach's negative negative criticism of them. You weren't good enough. You're fat. You're ugly. Whatever it is. And in their 80s, that's the weight that we have as coaches. That's the responsibility that coaches need to understand that you can have on a kid. So you better make it work. You better make it a good you know, you better make that time with them positive, encouraging. It doesn't mean you can't crack the whip when it needs to be cracked, because I believe that kids need to be barked at from time to time when they have it coming. Um, but it's about being consistent in expectations, showing them exactly what they can do. You know, I, I will never forget uh, whatever grade it was, fourth grade, I think, uh, fifth grade. I had a teacher that one day if you could get away with murder. And the next day, if you look blinked wrong detention and, and, and I'll never, that was so frustrating. Just like either I'll do whatever you want me to do, but just be, be consistent. I will not talk all year long if that's what it takes to not get a detention, but just be consistent with me. So my friend, uh, Lincoln, Lincoln Hughes, who was actually my catcher in college, he did teach for America in Kansas city three years out of college. And I just remember him talking about like, Dude, these kids who have nothing, the first thing that they need is structure. The first thing that they need is discipline. They want it. As much as they like, you know, are disrespectful to me when I when I introduce it to them, the more consistent I am, the more they feed into it and just love it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm I'm always listening to how people, you know, how they put things into perspective. Um, it's, <laughs> this is funny. I, I didn't have anybody in Minnesota, like question my knowledge of baseball because I don't have kids. And I've had multiple people here, like call that out. 
So me just like, okay, whatever. Um, I've deep dived like way into like understanding child psychology and anybody who has kids and any, but anybody who's talking about it, I'm like more, more, tell me more because it's just like you said, I mean, all of our vivid, vivid memories are from when we're kids and it's so impactful. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and to, like you said it, it's like, I, as the adult have to respect that that could be today. That could be in five minutes. I have no idea, right, when that moment is going to be. And, gosh, scares the crap out of me enough to do something about it. So, yeah, that's good. Um, okay. Um, I don't know. This is this is really good. I'm, I'm having a lot of fun. We're getting – we have, like, 15 more minutes if we want to stay under the hour. Um, so I want to give you a little bit of an opportunity. Um, and, it, again, if we go over, we already talked about that. So um, nutrition – like our kids do not hear enough about this. Give me a little bit on like um, from all of your experience on that. I think it's not a conversation that we're having often on here. So I don't know. You you can you can get it going. Okay. Um, well, let's see. Keep it simple, right? Getting buy-in number one. I mean, like when it comes to strength conditioning work. Okay, half the battle is just getting them to do something consistent. Like it could be, I mean, it can be a terrible program, but as long as it's done, people have bought into it and they actually do it and they train hard, <laughs> they're going to get, they're going to get exceptional results. Most likely, um, kind of same concept with nutrition. It's just getting them to buy into the fact that it matters. Um, and, and even a half-hearted nutrition approach is, is wildly better than what most kids and high school kids are doing how uh, old are you i'm 37 i just turned 37 37 look at that beautiful skin kids so listen <laughs> to this nutrition right now he's glowing over there how old do you think i am yeah <laughs> and it, it might be this reflection of the snow are you facing a window with snow everywhere right now no you know what actually i got one of those lights one of those oh uh, yeah 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 because yeah. i got because I do the online coaching thing, so I figured I might as well have a nice lighting. Sorry, you look great. Keep going. Should I should I turn it off? Me? Okay. No, no, no. We were McGuigan's was so bright because the he had so many um, windows oh. in his house with the snow. Yeah. So SoCal people don't get it. No, no. Nutrition though, nutrition. So I like to teach it in habits. Okay. Um, it's really hard to process you know, all of these different things, like how many calories a kid should be eating, how many grams of a certain thing they should be eating. So what I like to do is just like teach them a habit and then, then, then um, habit stack. Okay. So like habit number one is teaching them how, how to eat a, a lean protein every meal of the day, meal or snack of the day. So if they're eating five times a day, okay. In fact, that might be habit number one is teaching them to eat every three to four hours rather than breakfast, lunch, and then not until dinner. Um, you know, these kids burn so many calories, uh, you know, when they're just practicing and being a kid, not to mention you throw a, throw a strength program on top of that. They're so malnourished. It's not even funny. Okay. So just getting, it's getting not on, funny. It's not even funny. Like they, they can't eat enough. Um, most of them, some, some figure out a way to do that still, but, um, so eating, eating every three to four hours is like a good habit to teach right away. Okay. And so, and that's, that's all we work on for a couple of weeks, eating every three to four hours. And then once they have that habit kind of dialed into a certain degree, then making sure that there's a protein, a lean protein at every single one. 
okay? Because there's one, if there's one macronutrient of the protein, carbs, and fats that kids do not get enough of is protein. They'll get plenty of carbs, okay? They'll, they'll get plenty of sugar. They'll, you know, the fat will take care of itself, but protein is, it takes a concentrated effort. And it's the, and when, with a growing body and one that goes through stress and needs to remodel itself and repair, protein is pretty darn important. Um, so that's the next thing that I usually tackle with kids. Um, and, and even weight loss people is like, Hey, let's get a protein at every single meal. Okay. And then I usually teach the hand thing. Like if you look at your, the palm of your hand, you should at least be getting a palm's worth of protein at every single meal or snack. Okay. That's like the second habit that I teach. Um, and then beyond that, like habits three and four, um, usually like three and four will be fruits and vegetables, making sure you're getting a fist of fruits and vegetables at at least three of your meals. Um, and then hydration can kind of come whenever drinking half your body weight in ounces of water. But if you do it in that fashion, every two weeks, stack a habit, a new step, a new habit to learn. Um, I've found some pretty good success with kids with that, but you gotta, I mean, it can't be like, Hey, nutrition, um, at the beginning of a program, uh, and then you don't talk about it for two weeks. It's got to be hammered, 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 hammered every day that, you, that it's talked about. Because it's, if it's not, it won't stick. Like it's, my buddy Sam Topping is in the Twin Cities. I don't know if we've talked about him, but he yeah. texts his kids all day long, every day, and um, his rates are pretty high for the Twin Cities. And I had no problem sending people to him because I'm like, guys, he's going to be on you nonstop. Um, so you you have a little different perspective coming from the wrestling side because you're gonna you're gonna deal with athletes that want to be lean um, and it feels like in baseball um, the average body fat percentage is going up every year just because people are like mass equals gas so like where's the balance in this and like how should you be gaining weight what's what's good weight I don't know help us understand a little bit more on that uh, I think if you look at all athletes regardless of sport. Um, the exception might be weight class sports, you know, like wrestling or gymnastics, you know, where, um, you know, stuff like, you know, gymnastics isn't a weight class sport, but it's, yeah, yeah. you know, it's kind of a, a size sport. Right. Um, but across the board, football players, basketball players, baseball players, the good athletes typically have a good body composition. You know, they don't, they don't carry a lot of excess body fat in any of those sports. Now there's always an exception. There's always an outlier, but by and large, they're all pretty, you know, um, 10 percent ish, maybe 15 at the most, but around that body fat, um, frame. So I think the message to take away from that is, um, we got to have a, it should be, our, our focus should be on gaining muscle. It shouldn't be on just gaining mass. It, it, with half of it being fat, you know, gaining 10 pounds, gain five pounds fat, gain five pounds muscle. I think it should be- How, long, how long should it take you to gain five pounds of muscle, 10 pounds of muscle? Longer than what people want it to take. <laughs> um, I think a good a good rate of, of muscle gain, man, if you, can, if you can gain a couple pounds of muscle in a month, that's pretty good. Huge, right? Like two pounds is huge. Yes. Yes. Just project that over time, right? Right, right. I mean, if you can gain, I mean, think about a uh, a fourteen year old kid, fourteen year old kid, probably the average fourteen year old kid's what, 
a buck 30, you know, maybe. okay. Maybe a big 14 year old. He's a buck. 30. No, 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 no. I'm saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Okay. So let's just say he, that dude can pack on 10 pounds of muscle every year until he's 18, you know, huge. I mean, now he's, he's 170 pound, but if it's muscle, like a well put together kid that scouts are going to look at and go, man, that kid's got, he's got a good setup. He's got a good setup. You know, he's, you can tell he works hard. He's got a good frame, uh, strong. Uh, and man, if baseball players could just, I mean, maybe it's coming a long ways. You guys tell me, but like, if they could just understand how, you know, just having strength and explosiveness and, and how the weight room transfers to the sport of baseball, and if they would just get that, how much better of an athlete that makes them, how much better of a baseball player it makes them. Like it makes all the difference in the world. I just think that the pendulum, I mean, I don't know, you were in pro ball 2000 when? Uh, 10. Okay. So there's been more change in our game in the past three years than there has been in the last 30. Two years ago, they said there's more change in the last five years than the last 15. So it's just like hockey stick, like crazy. So um, I would say from the time that you were in it, it maybe more like early 2000s, because it was starting to go there a little bit in 2010. Oh, yeah. um, like people like people were starting to exist that were in player development a little bit uh, more uniquely. But in my, so where I was coming from, Brandon, is there are people in the industry that are putting like, if you can, if you can clean, you know, two times your body weight, if you can lunge, you know, two and a half times your body weight, you will likely be able to throw 90 miles an hour. And, and then like body, you know, body percentage metrics, like if you're two time, you know, and all of these things. And I'm like, to your point, you can do anything that whether it's good or bad, if you just commit to it, you're going to get a lot out of it. Okay. And then I'm just sitting here going, okay, I think we need to be a little bit more clear about what actually works here. I'm so infatuated by the habit stack idea. I want to know more about that, but just to finish off the pendulum is swung, bro. Like kids are lifting. I'm more worried about the fact that when we said, when I said, I'll, I'll take full responsibility for this. I have said we should train people like football players. McGuigan said the same exact thing. I completely understand that sentiment. I'm just saying, I think it's gone a little bit too far right now where it's like, okay, we've had, we're actually not football players. So we've yeah. gotten to the point where like, it's really common. You know, I saw, I see it a lot with the Hamlin program where I coached and played. They, most of their team is lives in the weight room. And it's gone to the point where you see a lot of programs across the country. Like it's a non-negotiable. Everybody's lifting. Everybody's lifting hard. And it's like cool to do these things right now, which is great. And I'm just coming and going like, where's the balance? How does it go too far? I think of the Cressy speed strength continuum. Like how can people put these in, things into perspective? How much should I be spending doing baseball? I know you're a big multi-sport athlete. I'm throwing all the things at you, but I do believe the pendulum has swung in a way that's a, a little bit too far in ways. And obviously there's going to be always people that are way behind and are still telling kids to run poles and never lift in their life. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, that's I'm because glad. it's the same. It's the same answer that you give a 40 year old is what I'm trying to poke at you. So like, just give it to me. <laughs> well, I mean, what's, what's the main question you're asking? <laughs> So I, I think, I think the point is, is where is the balance, right? Yeah, okay, so, okay. you know, yeah. 
I mean, in the end of the day, I, I think I, I, I would agree with some of the things that Steve had said, you know, like we got to train hard like football players, but I, you, when it comes to exercise selection, I don't think, I don't think you got to train like football players. Um, I think a lot of the things are the same, but I think you got to make some modifications for, for a baseball athlete versus a football player. Um, but to your point, I, I think in the off season, you should train super hard, but when it starts to, it's like, it's just a good periodized program. I think as, as you start getting into preseason ball, it's gotta be more about the sport than the weight room. And then as you get into the, the season grind, it's about maintaining a level, try to maintain your level of strength. It's not about gaining. It's not about, you know, PRing in the season. It's about baseball. Okay. But, you know, from a maintaining athleticism, maintaining strength, power for your sport, um, you just got to shift your, shift your goals, man. Um, depending on what, uh, what season of the year you're in, you know? I know everybody wants to know, like, what's the best exercise, biggest bang for the buck. And I know that's not an answer, but I do know that you love kettlebells. And so at least, so here's, maybe this will make sense. Okay. What I'm trying to say, Brandon, is I think a lot of people are spending time working hard just to work hard. And I know that there's value in that, but you should decide where you're spending your time. Like this should be a little bit more calculated, right? So a lot of baseball players don't actually like strength and conditioning that much, but they love baseball. And so I'm sitting here going like, how do we get baseball players to gain benefits of strength and conditioning without putting them through a traditional strength and conditioning workout all of the time? Cause they don't want to do that. Yeah. So talking about buy-in, I'd rather have them doing things that is a little bit more attractive to them while, so you know what I mean? So I think kettlebell, I don't see a lot of kettlebells in baseball. And when I put a kettlebell in my hand, I'm like, oh my gosh, baseball, like baseball everywhere. So um, maybe yeah. talk a little bit about what you know about kettlebells. And and if, I don't know, what, I don't know what, where else we'll go with it, but a lot of baseball players don't know about kettlebells. Yeah, you're right. And I think they should, because um, I like you, when I started, I've been using them pretty exclusively for almost a decade. And um and in one instance where I had an impingement, impingement syndrome where I literally couldn't throw, like it was like a knife in my shoulder. I, and I did this by mistake. I started training for a competition, um, a, a kettlebell competition, which involved a lot of snatching, kettlebell snatching. And in doing so, um, I picked up a ball one day and I was expecting that stabbing feeling in my shoulder. And I was like, I was throwing a football around. And I'm like, I felt pretty good. Let's try that again. I'm like, I felt pretty good. And then I started uncorking and my, my arm was absolutely resurrected. Like I could throw a foot, like I could throw a football and a baseball as hard as I ever could in my life. And I got to thinking about just that movement pattern, you know, how, you know, it's almost like, you know, the like, reverse, it's a reverse throw. Yes. Like, but it's, it's with a huge kettlebell. Right. Right. So it's just working. It's like an antagonist. It's working all the antagonist muscles of, of the, throwing motion. Right. And, and you can even get a little more specific than, than that motion yet. Like maybe we'll do a follow-up where I'll actually go over that. But um, I think kettlebell snatching has a huge, in fact, I just did a, um, a continued education for Ohio state university, their upper extremity PTs and how kettlebells. So I was showing them Turkish get-ups and how three-dimensional shoulder stability and how you got to pack that shoulder. And I was showing them how to do windmills, which again is like three-dimensional shoulder stability. And then I'm like, but here's the, I think here's the king of this. If you can get, if you can teach kids how to do kettlebell snatching 
and you can do it from a half kneeling position. You can do it from a standing position. You can do it from a, from a split stance position. Start with low weights, high volume, but this is something that you can work as a strength exercise and power exercise that I think getting the baseball world to buy into that because they're so worried about injury at the highest levels. Like I remember we were playing um, conditioning in, in um, pro ball. I used to throw routes. So I'd bring a football out and I'd throw them routes and the guys ate it up. They loved it. They would, they would condition super hard if there was a ball at play, you know, but then the, then the coach came out to me and said, Hey, dude, you got, you got to put the football away. I'm like, why? And they're like, we're worried about them jamming their finger, breaking their finger. And I'm just like, geez, Louise, these are professional athletes. They can catch a football, you know? So we had to play with a baseball and glove and it immediately took all the fun away. <laughs> um, we're all, they're, we're so worried about like, like the baseball player is so fragile. Like the dude experiences the most traumatic motion, external rotation and internal rotation. We throw as a baseball, but we can't like do basic overhead pressing. Like, yeah. I mean, it's the same, dude. I had a very similar thing with my shoulder too. It's, it's, it's crazy, man. Um, do you know uh, much about WEC method? Um, I've seen a lot of their ads. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, they, um, they 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 add a lot. They promote a lot. Um, we're having him. We're having David Weck on tomorrow. Um, you are. Yeah, so that's going to be a really good thing. But I I thought about um. So oh my gosh, it's Chris. I forget Chris's last name, but his main trainer uh, is Savage Protocols, and he does. If you if you're not following him, he does some really cool stuff with kettlebells. Um, obviously they're a little bit more eclectic than um the traditional strength and conditioning people, but. Um, anyway, they do a lot like Marlon bird too is in their camp and, and they add a lot of rotation into their kettlebell work, like a little extra. So I'd be curious to, you know, off air, know a little bit more about if you've seen that and, and your perspective on that, but yeah, yeah. I'll take a look at that stuff. Cause, I mean, Cause you were talking about like turning it into lunge and like the variations that you could do with a, a snatch. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you could really get, you know, make it more sports specific, you know, by adding some of those things. And in, in short though, kettlebells, I think, um, are, I mean, they're an unsung hero tool that I think a lot of all athletes should be using the, the amount of stabilization that it takes to use it. Um, uh, the trunk and core stability that you gain from, you know, just having to hold on to something like this rather than a big long bar. There's it, it, knowing how to time momentum, like catching it correctly, yeah. like knowing how to turn it over. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that, you know, it's not like, it's not like learning a bar muscle up, but it was one of the things in CrossFit that I was really jacked up about, um, you know, watching you do it. I still haven't done a hundred pound, uh, Turkish getup, which I don't know how you've done that. That's unbelievable. Right. Did you do a hundred pound Turkish getup? Yeah. Uh, well, my PR is 125. Um, yeah. What? Yeah. Well, here's the thing though. Here's why I don't think it's that impressive because I have a friend that does 225. <laughs> so, yeah. So Get bigger I, friends, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, so and so thank you. That makes me feel good. Thank you. Thank Dude, you. that's, that's crazy. <laughs> it's a lot of work though. And a lot of people hate them because they're just so tedious, but um, uh, man, if you don't, I, I mean, this is, this is great. Uh, what's fun about this for me is I'm actually making more connections in San Diego with all my Minnesota people and just doing a good job of connecting people. Do you know um, MSP Fitness in St. Louis Park? Um, 
Okay, so he's going to be on. I just scheduled him for May 1st. Um, him and Taylor Gish. Do you know Gish? Name sounds from here. So Taylor know. Gish is the strength and conditioning coach at Northwestern, uh, the little uh, Christian oh, school. Oh, okay. Over by Bethel. Yep. And yep. Um, they both were at MSP Fitness, and um, I, I've connected them with a couple people. They're not. They're not like. They're not out there doing stuff like this, trying to get noticed. They're just killing it, um, on doing their own thing. But I'd be happy to connect you with both of them because they're um, both of them are very good in the Olympic lifting world. But their kettlebell work is is as good as I. I, I feel very good about bo what both of them have taught me. So anyway. Um, I know that it's always good to know some people, but, and now yeah. I forget that you're in La Crescent. So that's not necessarily a hop, skip and a jump. No, it's, it's not. It's not. No, anyway, I'll get up there from time to time. No, you get around. Um, all right, dude, well, let's, let's just, th this is actually just teeing up for another one of this. Cause this is fantastic. Brandon, you have so many good things to say from a leadership standpoint. Um, I, I need to ask, actually prepare more next time and, and ask some real hard questions because I know that you're good at that. So yeah, yeah. I'd love to do it again. Do you have any other things that we didn't touch on that you kind of wanted to wrap it up with? Um, I guess off the top of my head, I wish I was like, yes, as a matter of fact, I do, <laughs> you know, like I was prepared for that. No, um, I, I think, I think it's like, Okay. So, so for me, I'm sitting here going, one of the biggest things that drives me is I think I think from the player's perspective. So I'm always trying to think about, okay, yeah, I want to be hard on them, but half the time I bark at kids. Then the next, then I come back the next time. I'm like, bro, I probably didn't need to do that. Here's where I'm coming from. You know, there's a fine line between that, but like, I don't know what do kids, what do 16 year olds need to know right now? If you could just give them, you know, a little bit of insight into, what would, what would you be doing at 16 if you could do it all over again? Oh, man, if I can do it all over again, like I, I feel like I – this might sound arrogant, but I think I did a pretty good job myself the first time around because I was pretty um, absorbed in, in, in sports and, and, and excelling. Um, but I think, what, I think kids are so mixed up with – they're so distracted, man. They're so distracted. Like my uh, – my buddy and my I in town, um, he, he played NHL hockey. His name's Araya Hayes. We put together a program once all this quarantine stuff started going down. We're like, we thought of all the athletes that missed out on their senior season or they missed out on all their sports. They, they need an outlet. So we created a program called No Athlete Left Behind, and it's a curriculum. So, in fact, right before we hopped on this, I finished an online coaching session with all these kids. We got like almost 90 kids in there. And so we do strength and conditioning. Um, so we do strength work Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then Tuesdays and Thursdays, we do a little speed work with them. And then, but throughout, we're doing that habit stacking stuff with nutrition, but we're also doing like life skill stuff, like making your stinking bed. Um, you gotta, you gotta make a meal for your family. Like that's going to be our next assignment in the next two weeks is like, Hey, once a week, you gotta make a meal for your family. Like you gotta learn how to cook some basic meals, kid. Like they have no basic life skills anymore, it seems like. Um, and and then there's the leadership component. I think what kids need most nowadays is they need they need good people around them because it's really easy to have the wrong people around them. Um, so it's really just giving them the tools and the resources to um, get them on like a their own leadership journey and self development journey. Because it's if you remember being 16 and just like all the pulling 
hormones and like motives and all that stuff. Like it needs to, they need structure and they need some, some sort of outlet to like talk about those things. And I am a big faith guy. So we intermix the faith component into that too, and just expose them to, to good positive things in life. And cause we got some weird stuff. Like, you know, I've talked to some people about um, teens and depression and, gosh, I don't even if we can talk about it, even suicide. And, you know, it used to be something like one in 10 kids, but now it's like four in 10 kids. It's something that's really, it's scary. Um, Did you know it's changed? Okay, I, I'm going to throw this in there because Jordan, I listen to a ton of Jordan Peterson. In the 70s, he was getting nine to one of his clients were women. And now it's the inverse. Nine out of 10 people going to therapy right now are men. Wow. It's yeah. really, really weird. Yeah. And I, think I don't it, hear that. I don't know. I mean, I think it's, we get entrenched in, in unhealthy habits, addictions, and um, poor associations. And, and I think that's what you guys are doing such a great job of with your podcast and the people that you're having on is you're having, you're exposing them to healthy things and healthy mindsets and a lot of different ways in how, Hey, I like what that guy has to say. I can use that. You're not exposing them to a bunch of um, pessimistic, um, negative behavior patterns, you know? And I think that's what kids need. Because in the end of the day, again, statistically speaking, yeah, we want to make them better athletes. We want to make them better baseball players. But, um, I mean, that's why well-built humans. I'd rather build a stinking well-built human. And if they're awesome at baseball, I want to help them maximize their ability there. I, of course I do. But if, if they have a positive experience and they have good memories, that's going to be way more powerful than when they're 30, 40, 50, than, you know, if they hit a couple more bombs, right? Totally, man. So. Tell us uh, where we can find your, your apparel line is sick. Um, <laughs> I, I really am embarrassed that I haven't bought any stuff yet, but that's, that's okay. that, that'll happen. But well-built humans, tell us more where you can find more about you and your business. Well, you can find me at wellbuilthumans.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram at, at wellbuilthumans and Facebook. All you got to do is search wellbuilthumans and you'll find me. Um, so you branded that everywhere. You're the same everywhere. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've learned to be a little bit savvy anyway. I'm trying to learn from the Cutter Nation guys, figuring out what they're doing, just steal all their content. <laughs> we, we do a lot. <laughs> you got to, man. You got to wear a lot of hats. Yeah. So, yeah, I encourage you all to follow him on his stuff. Um, he's constantly educating, leading. I mean, you have a lot of people following in your wake, man, and it just keeps on growing. So, Again, I appreciate you. This has been an awesome conversation and look forward to doing it again. Yeah. Thanks, fellas. I really appreciate it too. It was fun. Definitely. It was it was a pleasure. It was it was honestly great to hear you tell your side of it. Um, All right. um appreciate it. Guys, go check out Brandon. Um, don't forget, rate, review, subscribe. This has been great. Thanks again. We'll definitely do this again for sure. All right. See you, Joyce. Thanks.